all here this beautiful April evening. Yeah, I was uh, was talking to my brother on Skype the other day. It was 80 degrees down there in Minnesota, and uh, we we're sitting here. It was 15 below, I think, that morning. Man, this just this ain't right. But it's Alaska for sure, isn't it? <laughs> you never know what you're going to have. <clears throat> it's going to be a fun breakup, I think. When it goes, it's going to be wild. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to the first mosquito. <laughs> We're going to be in Romans chapter 14, looking at two verses, 17 and 18. Last Sunday, Pastor Demlo, in one of his messages, he referenced the kingdom of God, and he talked a bit about it, <clears throat> and uh, spoke of some aspects of it. And it just happened that, well, for, from before when I was, uh, before I got that uh, week of crud, I was, started working on this portion of scripture about the kingdom of God. So <clears throat> I, uh, I put it on the, on the table and I've been working on it. I've had a good time studying it. It's, uh, there's not a lot of startling truth that you're going to hear tonight, but it's some good basic Bible truth about about God and, and His kingdom, what it is. And he, Paul puts a very, very, very good definition of, of what it is in, this, uh, in these couple verses. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and read in, uh, in Romans 14, 17, beginning. <clears throat> it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let's go to the Lord again, then we'll continue. Oh Lord, I thank you for blessing me as you have these days with uh, your special presence in my life. I thank you, God, for holding up this old soul as I meander through life. Thank you for all the times I fell down and for all the times you picked me up. I thank you for looking over my shoulder, watching out for me as I seek to know you better, God, and as I seek to know your will for my life. Let it be that we'd all have that heart, Lord, uh, to be surrendered to your will and that we would seek to, to know it and then to live it. Lord, for the ministries that come before our church, let it be found that we could be ever faithful in supporting them and being behind them and, and actively participating in it. For surely it's not about us, but it's about you and, and the souls of men uh, that we're in contest for. Let it be that uh, we could know a special blessing this moment in time as we put our eyes to this portion of scripture, as we draw some truth from it that we can apply to share with ourselves, to, for our own knowledge, and to be able to share with others. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Again, the Bible says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's not something in the physical sense. But what's being talked about here is the spiritual kingdom of God. And it defines what it is. It says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that in that, if we have these things and emulate them, the Bible says that if we're serving God, it's going to be acceptable. Serving Christ is going to be acceptable to God and approved of men. Just to set the background for this, in the Roman church, 
some leading up to this, this portion of scripture, what it was talked about was the Roman church, uh, some were flaunting their liberty in Christ to eat whatever they wanted to eat, but were not sensitive about how their actions affected their weaker brothers who had not let go of the, the food regulations of the law of Moses, the Levitical law. The stronger brothers were putting their liberty above love, which should have been the main thing. <clears throat> um, the Bible says, use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And so what these, what these brothers in the Lord were doing was they were giving them, evidently giving a hard time to some of these that were a little bit slower in coming on and growing spiritual maturity to understand that they no longer needed to worry about those matters of what to eat, what not to eat. And Paul talked about this a bit in Romans 12, verse 10. It says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, meaning think of, thinking of others as much or more than yourself. And that, that phrase there, be kindly affectioned, in the, uh, in the Greek, it's philostrogos, and it's, it's, uh, the root word there is, comes, is from phileo, but it's, uh, it means to be kindly affectioned, to be tender, to have tenderness, or to, to cherish, or have a special, special, close uh, regard for our fellow Christians. And of course, we know brotherly love is, is that uh, Philadelphia, just the, brother, the love that we should have for all those within the family of God. God's kingdom is the main thing, and it centers not on external matters. It, doesn't, it isn't all wrapped up in the meat and, and the drink. It isn't all wrapped up in the things temporal. It isn't wrapped up in all the things physical, though they, there are things that we experience and we deal with. But it's on our relationship with God and others. If we're going to serve Christ, we need to have uh, a heart to know the Lord certainly, and to know his will and to be able to do that which is acceptable to God, that we could be then approved of men. And we'll <clears throat> look at this a little bit towards the end, that if we're walking as the Lord have us, he says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If we're emulating those things to the world, we're going to be getting something done for the Lord. <clears throat> Again, Paul is like he's saying, keep the main thing as your main thing. Don't major on the minors and don't minor on the majors. It's easy to focus on external matters and neglect the main thing, which is to know God, to obey God, and to give Him glory through our service. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were well known for their unscriptural practices <clears throat> that just were, emulated this. Uh, in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus got, got in the face of those Pharisees when, when they came and they were upbraiding him for some of the things that he was doing. He says, woe unto you. Now to pronounce woe on somebody is a serious thing. He wanted them to, to shake them up and to consider what they were doing in the light of what Scripture really said. They knew Scripture, but they chose to find their own uh, their own uh, uh, doctrinal stance on some of the things of obedience he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. And that was good. You know, that was fine, he says. You have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. Well, <clears throat> that's something that we need to be careful. We don't ourselves fall into perhaps not a greatest degree as the Pharisees do, or maybe as much as these uh, uh, Christians in the time of Paul. But nevertheless, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about the matter of spiritual focus, isn't it? It's about the matter of spiritual discipline and seeing the things of God that we need to do to be doing them. And yeah, to have consideration for our brothers and sisters in the Lord, because we're not, we don't all grow the same. You know, uh, it's different ministering to men. It is different to, to ministering to women. I've never done that very much, but they used to minister to me a lot when I was in uh, when I was teaching some of the Bible Institute classes. I used to learn a lot from from the, getting the female perspective on some of the scripture and some of the things that uh, that I didn't see, and it was a hundred percent valid. It's just I don't think like a woman. And women would see some things, and, and, and it's good. And, and in that, I was blessed and have an opportunity to know them that way. And, and I hope they got something out of my classes when I put before them, too. Well, God and His Word are to be the focus of our life and our existence and our service. Uh, when Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That verse, it just rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? Just like John 3, 16, rolls off the tongue real easy, but it's in the application where we, we sometimes stub our toe or stumble, don't we? Because we don't always make, we don't always live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But he would, that's what he would have us to do. Now, <coughs> this term kingdom of God is used in the Bible a number of ways. I'm not going to try to get into every one of them. But we're going to look at three that are pretty easy to understand and, uh, and see how, uh, how that it fits in with what Paul was trying to get across to these people in the, in the church at Rome. First of all, the, uh, we'll look at God's earthly kingdom. This includes all believers and unbelievers in this physical world. And two, uh, very often you see the, the, the phrase, uh, the kingdom of heaven. Generally, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are, can be looked upon as being synonymous. And just as we're going to learn now tonight, how you get to the, to the actual application of that, you've got to look at the context of what's being talked about. In, in the scripture here that we have, it, it shows you very, very clearly that it's talking about spiritual things, and it's not talking about things of this world, not of the, the kingdom of this world in the physical sense. But it's important sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, Sometimes to get past that and get an understanding, you know, uh, one of the things that, uh, that I've learned, I try to apply, you know, it's like when I get preaching, I'm just, just going, going, going. It's just like water running downhill until I get to the end. But I try to slow myself down when I'm reading God's Word. I try to slow myself down 
and to, to meditate on God's word, to take it in, to understand the words, to be able to, to get the gist, to get the whole, uh, to get the whole feeling and, and intent of what God is trying to get across in that phrase, in that, in that verse, or in that portion of scripture that you're looking at. <clears throat> the thing is about this, we're going to look at the uh, a second part of this uh, aspect of God's kingdom, but this, this physical kingdom of, of God's, uh, God's realm, this is a corruptible, wicked, uh, kingdom. Because it's, it's full of corruptible, wicked people. Most of these people that are in this world are not of the Lord, nor do they, many of them would ever care to be. If we look at the turmoil that's going on in the, in the country, in the world, in our country, certainly around in the world, to me, as we view the end times, and I believe we are in them at one way, at what point I, I would not hazard a guess. But to me, it's just like when, when you put the, the pot of water or you put the pot of stew on the stove and you, you turn, the, turn the heat on and, you know, you can turn that heat up and it'll turn it up a little more, and it'll turn it up a little more, and turn it up a little more until you get it right where it, you, you like it, or when it's boiling or something. But the way I look at the things going in the world, it's like it's the, the temperature and the, the tenor of the times, the zeitgeist, spirit of the times, is getting more and more wicked. It's just as, as, the, as there's less and less moral, spiritual restraint in our country and across the world, you can't hardly go a day or a day without another mass murder shooting someplace. Schools, you know, seems like I wouldn't want to be in school today in the public schools. It's because the wickedness of men is becoming greater and greater in this in this physical uh, finite realm. To boil it down and to put it in a nutshell, God's kingdom is the realm where he rules and we submit to his rule and authority. His sovereignty or right to rule is established by he being as our creator. <clears throat> and what a wonderful kingdom God has created for us to enjoy the wonders of his creative genius. I like Sister Amy puts those uh, uh, creation moments in the in the bulletin and I send them in I know brother uh, Seth takes them into the jail I send them to all the guys that we minister to through the mails and so on because it's it's important to see uh, that the intricacy of God's creation and his intent and his design it could not come by chance or through evolutionary uh, uh, doctrine as they as they teach in the schools and most people are sold into that. But when you can give them something to look at and make people think uh, about the right way as opposed to the wrong way, I believe you're getting somewhere. And I thank you for that. Keep, keep them coming. I like seeing them. Because I learn a lot, too. I like reading about that ard wolf. That's an amazing creature that God made. Well, the Bible says in Rome, uh, Psalm 8, verse 3, 
The psalm writer said, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Have you ever just stood out and, in, uh, and looked at a starry night, or have you ever looked upon a scene out in, in nature and just been humbled by the presence of God? To me, it's just so awesome. Uh, I've been, been afforded to live in this state, you know, for 40-some years. I've worked in, in parts of the state in the Wrangell Mountains where it was just so absolutely beautiful in all the, the, the scenery, the, the glaciers and the rivers and the, just the openness and the pristine nature of it. And so many times I was just humbled as I looked upon it and considered my God who made all that. And he even made, made that, created some of those things just for me to, to view and to, and to wonder in. When we consider all this and who we are compared to God, it's good because it puts us in the position that we need to be before our God. We need to get off the throne and keep him on the throne of our life. Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He can't, he can't understand everything about God, though we would, you know, we can, we can certainly try to as we learn what we can through his word and we can learn as we view things in nature and we can grow and understand more about his creative self. <clears throat> and understand, you know, that as, as wicked as this world is, that we as believers, we have the responsibility to take light to these people. That, as it says in our scripture there, we, as just as we're to be approved of God, we're to, be, uh, we're to be acceptable to God, we're to be approved of men. That, that through our, our life, the way that we live and work, and we would reflect back some of the things of, of God to them, that they could, some of the lost, we'd have opportunity to give them the gospel message that they might be one from, the, from this wicked world. As I said, it's just getting worse and worse out there, but we're still responsible for sowing the seed. You know, and you get the, you get the picture that in God's earthly kingdom, we all have our, a particular field or area to work and to serve in. Our church has our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and uttermost parts of the earth. And I had the thought, you know, I really think that that God had in his mind that, that he wanted to plant churches everywhere in the world so that everybody at one time would, at one time would have, in the perfect sense, would have had a chance to hear the gospel through the teaching and preaching of a New Testament church. <clears throat> well, we can't all go. We're not living in the first and second centuries, but we are living in the 21st century, and we have the avenue and the means now to share uh, God's word through the, the social media and so on. We have the opportunity to send out volumes and volumes of uh, scripture, uh, John Romans and so on, and, and reaching out to the native peoples. We have all the opportunity now that we can have our, through our uttermost parts of the earth, we're able to reach out 
to the, to the far ends of the earth, to Beirut, Lebanon, to the Philippines, uh, to uh, the Far East, Thailand, Burma. In, this, in Southern Africa, there's, there's uh, nations being reached now I didn't even know the names of 10, 15 years ago. But the, the Word of God is going out there, and it's, it's, a, it's just incredible to me to see how God works in fulfilling His Scripture, His, His promise. He said He's going to get the Word out to every people and nation and tongue. And you read there through Brother Hammett's ministry and those that he's won to the Lord, they're printing, they're printing volumes and volumes and volumes of material in dozens of languages. It's just absolutely amazing to me. Why? God cares for those souls and he's going to make a way possible for them to hear truth. So, in talking about this, this physical world, we walk in a sin-sick world. We're not to be of this world. We have to be in this world in this physical sense but not to allow ourselves to become a part of its ways and be affected by the, the, the world and the flesh uh, to detract from our witness and our testimony. So number two, we're going to look at God's kingdom. It's the heavenly kingdom. Uh, while the, this, this world is completely corrupt, God's kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, heaven itself, is completely pure. The earth is filled with all kinds of Awesomely beautiful flowers and birds and minerals, atmospheric phenomena and so on. But everything earthly pales in comparison to the wonders of heaven. <clears throat> if you have your Bible there, let's uh, riffle over to Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 4. After the first three uh, chapters of Revelation... <clears throat> But speaking to the churches, the seven churches of Asia, then we're ushered right into the very presence of, of, of God. It says there in Revelation 4.1, after this, this is John now testifying. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And then it goes down to the, uh, the end of that chapter, and it, those four and twenty elders fall upon those, those, uh, those uh, four uh, angel, angelic beings, those beasts. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for that's created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Can you imagine stepping into heaven one day? And there's God on his throne and his glory circled throne. It says it's as emerald. I believe that, that, <clears throat> that we'll be able to, you know, green, green is the is color of life in our world, right? And I believe that, that we'll see every facet, every shade of green being reflected around God's throne. Can you imagine the light show? It would make, make the northern lights look pale. 
But that's something because of, of God's glory, and we'll have a chance to visit that and to experience that. In 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, and he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And so we'll be able to meet and see all the, the saints of times past, be able to meet angelic beings that have known God from, from the, the, the first day of creation. We're going to be able to experience things beyond our, our comprehension. Uh, to be in the presence of God itself would be so marvelously humbling and awesome. I can only imagine, as one man said, he said, I can only imagine that I'll be spend the first million years on my knees before God claiming him and my love for my God and my Savior. And I could say it might be the same for me too, for I'm certainly not worthy of anything of that part of heaven, but that God reached down and saved me those years ago, that I could have the hope of beyond something physical, that when I walk out into the spiritual plane, it'll be right into the very throne, throne room of God. In Psalm 53, verse 2, I put this verse in here. It says, uh, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there any did understand that did seek him. And the Bible says that, that, that none did, no, not one. The picture I want to get for you if there anybody lost in here is that uh, God is looking down right on you right now. Not even right now, but all the time. God is looking upon your life and he's watching you, and he wants to see you. He sees the things that you do wrong. He sees every time that you disobey your parents. He said any time that anybody has disobeyed God's, God's word or God's law and thought and word and deed, God is aware of that, and he's going to hold you accountable uh, for the things that you've done in this existence. If you want to get to heaven, you're going to have to get there through the merits of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and nothing of your own. Get serious. Life is short, and then judgment comes. Don't be caught in this existence without God as your Savior. And the third aspect of the kingdom of God, it's in the heart of believers only. Um, again, <clears throat> from our text... It says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So he's talking about the spiritual aspect of our existence. Um, <clears throat> the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Holy Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Well, yeah, he does. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that earnest, that gives us that knowledge of, of the change that took place in us when we repented and, and believed on Christ as our Savior. No lost person, however zealous, 
can truthfully claim to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God because they, God will not indwell a sin-sick, filthy uh, uh, soul, uh, a, a, a being. How does it come that we, he indwells us? Well, this is the way it works. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And so this is what happens. The moment in time that we come under the blood, that, that sin nature, the, the sin nature doesn't change, but the sin that... Um, our spiritual self that has been dead in trespasses and sin has been brought to newness of life and that he cleanses us, he cleanses us of that sin and he's able to move in. He's able to move in and then to, and then to, and to be one with us. You know, I think more and more, I make, I make too light of that fact that, that the Holy Spirit is in me right now. That he's in you as a believer right now. And that how often do we despite to the Holy Spirit when we willfully sin, especially when we are guilty of presumptuous sin, but any time that we sin, we're, doing, we're giving, bringing the Holy Spirit to grief. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Well, he, the Holy Spirit, he grieves when we sin, because he cares about us, he loves us, and as a child of God, he is going to deal with us as a parent to bring us into uh, conformity to his will. So all this business that you see, you know, they had about this, uh, I can't remember the name of it, it says Ashley, uh, they had some big uh, Pentecostal, you know, thing where people are all excited about these meetings, people are doing all this stuff. As far as I know, there is no preaching going on. It's all just singing and dancing or whatever they do. To, to, the emotional self is being fed to the max. The flesh loves that. Absolutely loves it. Because what that does is it, 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 it keeps people from coming to the truth and accepting spiritual truth. Because they tend to rely on an experience. They, they, they come to rely on feelings. And... Uh, Feelings don't save you, but, but Christ does. And so that's one, of the, that's one of the things that we need to remember when we minister to people. We need to be able to minister to them on a level of understanding of where they stand before God, what, they, what they're putting their faith in and their trust for God. We're all naturally a part of God's physical kingdom, uh, of this world by right of and responsibility of birth. We're born into this world through our, our mother, father, and this is, this is the same thing whether you're lost or saved. But at one time, we're all saved. Or we're all lost and dead in our trespasses and sin. Jesus said, unless you, be, unless you be born again, you cannot know the kingdom of God. So there has to become that inner change in the spirit where it's washed of our sin and then we can be born into God's family. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That, that, that verse rolls off too. But it's such an awesome thing to be able to claim sonship of the God of heaven and earth and all it is. That, that, that God that's sitting on the throne right now receiving worship, he's our father. By right of spiritual birth. 
If you can claim that, you can claim that you have a sureness of a heavenly home because God is surely not going to let us go wandering around <clears throat> willy-nilly when we die. No, he's going to usher us right home to be with him. That's, that's what his will for us is. <clears throat> when Paul talked to the, uh, the church at Ephesus, uh, he said that, that at, he's talking to the church people now. He says, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning from the family of God, and strangers from the covenants of the promise, you have no hope and without God in the world. He said that these church people were one time, they were lost and they were separated from God. They were an alien. They were not a natural, they were not a natural citizen of God's, of God's kingdom. God's heavenly kingdom, his spiritual kingdom. They're walking and talking and breathing just like most of the billions of people in this world today, but they're without Christ. And they're headed to, they're headed to hell because they have no hope. There is no true hope. You can hope and hope and hope on, on false belief systems. The world is full of false belief systems. People are, God created people to have a spiritual awareness, but unfortunately the the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Confucianists and, the, and the, all those in Christendom that don't preach the gospel, it's a, it's a wicked thing. These people are being held in belief systems that have no hope. And it says that they're without God in the world. That term in the Greek is atheos. Theos is where we get theology. Ah is a, an appellative that, that goes with that. It means without God. And so that's where we get the word atheist, atheos. So if you're, if you're uh, any person that doesn't know God as their Savior, truly could say you're an atheist, you're without God. You need God in your life. You need to get serious about the matter of your spiritual debt before God. You'll either pay it, let Jesus Christ pay it, through his shed blood sacrifice on the cross, all those people in hell today, they're paying off that sin debt and it, the interest compounds every day. They'll never get it paid off, never. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's Christians are saved to serve. Priests, priests were, were servants of, of God, and they served the, 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 the people for God. And that's what we're to be able to do in our life, to serve God, uh, <clears throat> to keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of God. The commentator Harrison said, wherever God rules over the human heart as king, there is the kingdom of God established in you, in me as a believer, in you as a believer. The kingdom of God is within, within us. But in all things, to what Paul is saying here in this portion of scripture, amongst other things, is that God's kingdom centers on our relationship with him and other people. Both the physical and the spiritual kingdoms are involved here, but the spiritual must Come first. The major on the majors and let the minors be the minors. 
We need to put God's first and everything in his existence and his desire for us to know him and serve him. For again, the book says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not of the, in this sense, it's not talking about the physical world. He says, but it is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We know that the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22, includes some of those. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meek, temperance. Against such there is no law. But God says here that he wants us to emulate righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost that would be acceptable to God, number one, and it would be approved of men. So that as we're making our way through life, that the testimony that we have would reflect the innate righteousness that comes from God. That it would reflect the innate peace that comes from having a believing relationship with God. That we could emulate back to the world the joy that we have as a result of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. 1 John 3.10 says, In this the children of God are manifest, or made known, and the children of the devil. There you go, okay? Listen up. There's only two federal head families in this existence. God's family, you've been born into God's family, you're naturally a part of Satan's family. He is the prince of the power of the air. He rules in this world over and brings about all the spiritual wickedness and darkness <clears throat> behind it all. As wicked as some of our leaders are, they pale in comparison to their master, Satan. While God is willing that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance, it's Satan's will is that all would die in their sins and one day join him in the lake of fire with burneth as, uh, fire and brimstone. Why? Because he wants to take whatever glory he can from God. But God is going to be glorified through, the, through his children, through us, for you and for me. Here's an interesting thought. We're all naturally born into the devil's family, and we share his ungodly attributes. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we take his name in vain, we rebel against authority. We're not perfect. The Bible says, God said, be holy as I am holy. That's the standard he has set. But the flesh doesn't care about that. The flesh just wants to feed itself. And so the lost person is without righteousness and true joy and love. But when you're born again into God's family, you acquire his righteousness and his peace and his joy as a result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And again, God wants us to exemplify these fruits of the Spirit as we minister for him to the lost souls of men. We need to be different. If, you can, if we can uh, demonstrate or we can show these things to the world's people, they're going to wonder why, because that's, they're not naturally like that. And so consider what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 1 through 2. He says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's that peace that passes all understanding. 
you try to, de- I've tried to, uh, you know, to describe it to, to audiences, you know, in the jail and try to, in one-on-one Bible study and so on, I've tried to describe what I have in my inner, inner being that I know that I am right with God, that I have peace with him, and that I have the promise of heavenly home, but you can't, you can't, you can't describe it. I mean, I just can't, I can tell about it, but I can't, I can't tell them what I feel and I know adequately. But he tried to show people that that's what they need. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We have his divine enablement to be able to be all that we can be for him. And we rejoice. We have joy in the hope of the glory of God. Heaven is our, that's the kingdom that we're headed to, God's kingdom of heaven when we leave this existence. So the result then of being, we rejoice, we have joy in the hope of eternity with God in heaven, and having this joy, this motivates us to share the gospel of our salvation with others. So even as in John 4, 24, it says that they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, so must we also serve God in spirit and in truth, following after the dictates of his word to the, as much as we're uh, uh, able to. Righteousness, peace, and joy that we have as believers can be a great testimony to the lost around us. And we should be able to do that if we're surrendered to the will of God and we allow him to work in and through us and to rejoice in what we have in God our Savior. You know, um, you know, you, you know you've, you, most of you know me, and you, you know I've, I've talked about how much it meant uh, losing my dad when I was nine years old, but how that I, I just I so loved working with my dad and being with him. I wanted to please him. I loved him so much. I worked with him as a wonderful thing on the farm. You're all busy doing stuff. And I could work with him, I wanted to please him because I loved him so much. Well, I have that same thing even in a greater sense for my Heavenly Father. He's, my other father's dead, he probably wasn't saved. But my Heavenly Father, I want to please him above anything else. Because when I get home, I just want to know his touch. And say, come on over here and sit down with me for a while. I'm going to talk to you. That's something that you can have if you know Christ as your Savior. If you don't know him as your Savior, what's holding you back from from putting your faith and trust in him? There's no greater thing than to know, to have that peace that passes all understanding. That when you have the sure confidence that you go through life and you're going to run into stuff, everybody goes through stuff in life. When the older you get, for me, the tougher it gets, but I'm but God is, a, is so good to me, he carries me along. He picks me up. He's never failed me, though I've failed him very, very often. But I just pray that if any person hasn't, doesn't know Christ as their Savior, young or old, you make this the moment in time to confess your sins and be born into, go from the family of the devil, be born into the family of God. Have that precious gift of salvation you can never lose. And uh, you can rejoice with God 
your, as your Savior. Okay. That's all I've got for tonight. And be serious about this. You know, remember what we have and the responsibility we have to be acceptable to our God. It's our responsibility to serve God for all, with all that we have in our being.